holy, righteous God, eternal, holy, loving Father, may the spirit of holiness now descend upon us and make us what we are called to be as your children, holy and set apart to you. We want to be holy because you are holy. We want to be holy in every sense of the biblical term, committed and dedicated to you, pure, pursuing the righteousness of Jesus Christ in our lives and our lifestyles, and a beautiful display of your purity and goodness the world around us. Make us your holy people. Do so as we look to your word. Do so as we celebrate communion. Holy God, Holy Father, Holy Son, Holy Spirit, make us holy. Amen. Welcome one and all. I invite you to turn with me to the book of Romans in the New Testament, Romans chapter 8, as we continue to study through that wonderful chapter. If you're using the church Bible there in the pew, that'll be on page 944. I'm really, really, I'm thrilled about the Sundays that we have before us in November. For one thing, we're going to be studying Romans 8. Uh, verses 18 through 30. I'm going to read that whole text in just a couple minutes. We'll only be dealing today with the first few verses of that text. But it's a wonderful text, and we're going to be studying it. Three Sundays on it today, and then two weeks from today, the 17th, and then two weeks after that, the 1st of December, we'll kind of pull that into the November kind of time frame, okay? Uh, you say, well, what's going to happen on the 10th? What's happening next Sunday? Why aren't we doing Romans 8 next Sunday? Well, um, uh, you, we have the privilege of having Pastor Tone Bellamy, former elder here at Stonehill, now pastor of Transformation Church down in Trenton, our church plant down there, our sister church. He's going to be preaching here next Sunday, and he's going to be preaching from the Gospel of Matthew. And I hope this place is totally packed out. Tone is a powerful man of God and a powerful preacher. And then, of course... Three Sundays out, the 24th, we won't be doing Romans 8 because that's Baptism Sunday, as I've already announced. So you've got these two great events, Tone Bellamy, Baptism, and all the time coming back to Romans 8, verses 18 through 30. And it's a wonderful text. The underlying theme of Romans 8, 18 through 30 is this. It's talking about how the God and his spirit bring hope to you, to you if you're a follower of the Messiah, Hope to you in the midst of all your sufferings. Paul's topic sentence of verses 18 through 30 is right at the top, verse 18. And in the rest of the text, he provides reason after reason why he says that. Let me read to you verses 18 through 30 of Romans 8. You follow along. Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So you might even read that in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected 
to futility, not willingly, but because of him, God, who subjected it and did so in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth right up until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, Christians, who who have the first fruits of the Spirit. What a wonderful phrase. We'll come back to that in two weeks. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. I mean, who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus in order that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is God's word. A lot of you know, most of you know, if not all of you know, the name C.S. Lewis, author of the Chronicles of Narnia, author of a space trilogy, a fiction writer, but also a Christian apologist, a thinker, and uh, at times even a preacher. On one occasion, Lewis wrote this. He said that we Christians are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and with sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, much like an ignorant child wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday, that's British for vacation, by vacation at the sea. And that's so true. Let me give you an illustration from the life of a pastor out in Denver, Colorado. Uh, He and his wife decided to take their four kids on a vacation to Disney World, Florida. But they wanted to kind of play with the kids a little bit, have some fun. So they told the kids that they were going to take them on vacation in Junction City, Kansas. 
And they started to build Junction City up. Oh, you know, there's a, there's a motel there. We'll stay in the motel. And we think that there's a swimming pool at the motel. And there's definitely an ice cream stand in, the, in this town. And, and maybe even there's a bowling alley. And they talked this up to the kids as they drove to Junction City, Kansas. And when they drove into the parking lot of a motel there, they all got out of the car. And, and then the dad turned to the kids and he says, you know... Junction City looks pretty boring. Let's go to Disney World in Florida. And the kids said, Disney World? Who wants to go to Disney World? We want to go bowling. We want to go to the swimming pool. Where's the ice cream stand, Dad? And for the next hour, as they drove toward Florida, the kids were complaining, we want to go to Junction City. We really are half-hearted creatures getting so captivated by the things of this age and, and unable to imagine or live by hope in the things that God has prof- promised in the age to come. And that's why I love this text. There's a whole lot of hoping going on in this text. There are, in, in these opening, the opening section that I'm focusing on, verses 18 to 25, there are, there are three, three weights. And when you, I'm going to point them out in a moment, when you read this word weight, it's not like, oh, gosh, can we get on with this, please? No, wait. No, no, this is eagerly waiting, anticipating. I, I can't wait for this to happen. Look at the three weights. Verse 19, creation is waiting with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God because creation knows that when, when the people of God are transformed at the beginning of the next stage, creation will be transformed as well. Eagerly waiting. We have then in verse 23, the people of God waiting. Same verb, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. And then verse 25, again, at the end, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience, eagerly waiting. But there's also a whole lot of groaning going on in this text. Did you catch it when I read it? Three times Paul uses a word about groaning. Verse 22, creation is groaning. The whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. Paul's writing there as if the creation, the world around us, were a human being. And a human being in pain. And the idea is that when, in nature, when, when something happens that isn't the way it should be, for instance, uh, when an earthquake tears apart a city, or tsunami hits a shoreline, or a tornado sets down and, and devastates, or when, 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 when a deer is hit by a truck, this is creation groaning suffering through something that it wasn't intended to suffer. Nature is groaning because what nature is enduring today is not the way it's supposed to be. God created nature for something much different. 
Then we get in verse 23 that human beings, Christians are groaning. Verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves are groaning inwardly. We're longing, groaning for the day when our bodies will be transformed and become totally new, still us, but totally new resurrection bodies. I can't wait for that body. I'm so tired of my left knee. I used to run a lot, but my left knee didn't like it. And when my left knee started to yell for two days after any kind of running, I gave it up. My body's groaning. My knee's groaning. Your body's groaning. And the older you get, the more groans there are. But we're all, our bodies are all groaning. We, we are groaning because our bodies suffered. What our bodies suffer today age, decay, brokenness, and eventually death, what we suffer today is not the way it's supposed to be. Then we get down to verse 26, a third groaning. It's a different one. We'll get back to this in two weeks. Here we have the Holy Spirit groaning, groaning for us, interceding with us for groanings too deep for words. Let me just put it this way for now. The Holy Spirit is groaning for us because sometimes our prayer to, prayers today aren't the way it's supposed to be. Just this world right now and us in it, it's not the way it's supposed to be. Three groans, three waitings with eagerness. God wants his children to overflow in the middle of all this to overflow with hope eager expectant hope he doesn't want us just to scrape by in the middle of all this and that's the big message of Romans 8 18 through 30 Paul in this text gives reason after reason why we can wait eagerly as he puts it in Romans fifteen thirteen, kind of the, the summary text for this, uh, this section. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can overflow with hope. I love that word, overflow. Last Thursday, Halloween, uh, I had, my wife and I had bought two big bags of candy. I mean, big bags of candy, 150 pieces of candy in each bag, 150 times two, 300 pieces of candy. And that's because last year we had dozens and dozens and dozens of kids come to our door. We easily gave out last year uh, well over 200 pieces of candy. So we figured, well, we better, we better get 300. Big bags at Costco, picked them up, had them home. So Thursday night last came and, you know, uh, supply was high, but demand was low. And we barely got through one bag. I mean, uh, barely. Here, here, here's, here's what was left. Like, this is like half of a bag. And this is after the youth group had, a, had, a, had an attack against the bag. All right. So, 
you know, as the evening wore on, it became apparent to me, we're never going to get through this candy. The kids would come to the door and I would go out with the basket and I'd say, here, you know, take seven, <laughs> take 10. I ne- I've never had this happen. These kids, I'd say, you know, go ahead and take seven. Oh, I couldn't do that. <laughs> no, take six, seven. I, 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 really? Yes, take seven. The last person to come to our door was a woman. I'd say she was 23, 24, 25 years old. So I went out with the basket. I said, here, here, take, take 10. She looked at me. That wouldn't be right. <laughs> it's totally right. Will you please take as much as you want? The point is, I was overflowing with candy. Overflowing with candy. And I, I just, I wanted to give it away. It's the same thing in Romans 15, 13. Overflowing with hope. This world needs people who are overflowing with hope. And we're it. We're the ones who are called to overflow with hope. People need that. We need it in each other. And people out there need it. And in Romans 8, 18 through 30, Paul is giving us the reasons why he says in Romans 15, 13, you can overflow with hope. Romans 8, 18 through 30 is a ladder of hope. As with any ladder, there are steps, there are rungs to the ladder. And the rungs of this ladder are the truths that Paul presents in this text, one after another. I mean, they just pile up. He starts down low, really down low with creation. That's what we're going to deal with today. And he climbs higher and higher and higher up the ladder until by the time you get up to verse 30, I mean, it's just wonderful. Verse 30, you're sailing into eternity in verse 30. It's just such an inspiring text in itself. And it's talking about real things that deliver hope. Each one of those rungs of the ladder, each reason that he gives is a reason why he says the outlandish, totally outlandish thing that he says in verse 18. Look at verse 18. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I consider, he says. That's a word of like mathematical calculation. It's not a kind of, hey, I had an idea. Or, you know, try this one on. No, no, no. This is one where he's saying, I've thought about this. I've gathered the information. I've worked it through. It's almost kind of like, if you think of it this way, it's like one of those old-time balances, you know, where you have two pans suspended, you know, from the the, the scale itself, you know, and and, um, Paul's heaping into this pan. He's heaping in all all the suffering, all the groaning, that he's seen in his life. And he saw a lot of suffering. He does not write this as someone who grew up in a nice, leafy suburb of the West. No, he'd seen so much suffering. And he'd seen it 
in other people's lives. And so he heaps all that suffering into the one pan. And as with any of these scales, you know, boom, the pan goes down. But then he looks to the other pan and he says, now I'm going to put in this pan the promise of what we're going to be. The reality will be transformed. Creation will be set free, remade. There'll be new heavens. There'll be new earth. We'll live forever with Jesus. We'll know one another. We'll love one another perfectly. We'll grow and flourish. And this world will be transformed. And he heaps that up and, you know, wham! It's just not even worth talking about, he's saying. It's not worth it, worth comparing the stuff that I'm going to present to you, in effect, he's saying. It just tips the scales so much that you don't even need to take time to compare them. We have here in 18 through 30 the reasons why the sufferings that we endure are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. We have here the, the rungs, the steps, on Paul's ladder of hope. Now today, we're just going to get into the first three. There are more to come. And as I say, the further up the ladder you get, the more incredible, the higher you get, and the more incredible the rungs. Uh, let's take a look at the first three rungs of the ladder. Verse 18 is the first one. And here he's saying that no suffering is excluded. He talks about the sufferings of this present age. That's his topic. I think all of us have in our minds when we think about suffering, two lists. Two lists. One list we might call what we think to be like real suffering. And then we have another list that's kind of suffering light. Kind of like, really? And say this list, you know, we'll throw, we'll put, Physical persecution of Christians. That's real suffering. But over here, you know, oh, well, people make fun of you because you're a Christian. Oh, that's suffering light. Or again, over here, we might put physical illness. That's real. Over here, we might put mental illness. Really? You know? Over here, we might put cancer. Over here, we might put a broken arm. Come on, it's not that bad. Some people try to do that with this verse. They say that when Paul talks, talks about sufferings here in the present age, he's talking about the persecutions that he faced. Or the, the physical hardships that he endured in all his traveling as an apostle with the loneliness and isolation that he often felt. But the point that I'm making here is that Paul does not limit the phrase, the sufferings of this present time. The word suffering that is used is a standard word for suffering. It talks about pain. We get our word pathology from the word. It's just, you know, pain. Something that causes you pain. Something that hurts because it isn't the way it's supposed to be. It isn't the way God intended it to be. 
And then he adds the sufferings of this present time. That would be the only limit, maybe, to, to, to the word. But, I mean, of the present time. I mean, that's, that's yesterday, that's today, that's tomorrow. It's all of it. There's, there's, no, there's nothing excluded here. All the things that cause pain, he's got in mind here. So, don't you go limiting what Paul's talking about here. Don't you limit it for yourself. Don't you limit it for others. Let me put it more positively. Grab hold of this text for the suffering that you feel. Even if you feel like, gosh, I shouldn't be really suffering here because, I mean, there are people around the world that, that, that they're starving. They are starving, but you're suffering too. Don't limit it to yourself. Don't limit it to others. Grab hold of it. Help others grab hold of the hope that Jesus, through, through Paul, is offering here to all his followers. No suffering is excluded. The second rung of the ladder is verse 20. No person should be singled out. You know, when it comes to suffering, it's so easy. It's just kind of a natural reflex for us to say, well, why me? What's happening? Why has God singled me out? Now, let me say that there are situations where because of intentional, repeated, defiant sin, God as a father will discipline, chasten his children. And that's, that's talked about in Hebrews 12, and it's a good thing. We want our parents to train us. And that kind of discipline can sometimes cause pain. But when that's the case, as a general rule, you, the, the Christian, you, you know it. And generally, the people who know you well know it as well. It's a matter of being honest before God. So let me say that what we're talking about here is non-disciplinary suffering. There's no sin for me to deal with in the midst of the suffering. So, so why am I suffering? Why is this happening? And what this text is saying, verse 20, what this text is saying is, is that you're suffering because you're part of a broken creation that's been subjected to a few things. Look at it, verse 20. For the creation has been subjected, first of all, to futility. Now that would include things like the randomness of things. You know, why did this all of a sudden happen? It's a seeming randomness of things. The cat, cat, catastrophic dimension of things, you know, a tsunami hitting a, a country, devastating so many people. Why? It's, that's the futility of this broken, fallen world. The writer of Ecclesiastes has a lot to say about the futility of this world. In his opening chapter, chapter 1, where he's got the theme, vanity of vanity, or futility of futil futilities. How futile everything is. It's just 
endlessly goes through meaningless cycle. He uses an example of, you know, water. Water goes up to the sky, into the clouds. It comes down, falls down in the rain, into the lakes and ponds and rivers and flows out to the ocean. And then it goes back up to the sky and falls down in the rain. And it just goes on and on and on. Just a futile, endless cycle. And we feel that. Creation is also subjected, verse 21. The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay. Decay. That's, that's death. That's stuff rusting and breaking down and aging, and sickness. That's the flu. That's Parkinson's disease. That's Lou Gehrig's disease. That's all of it. In verse 23, we're told it's not just creation. It's us. We ourselves, Christians, who have, again, two weeks, the first fruit of the Spirit. We're groaning and suffering with it. The point that Paul's making here is that suffering is just, it's just, if I can put it this way, it's just built into being part of a fallen world. It just, just goes with being a creature in a world that's subjected to futility and decay. And for those who wonder, well, gosh, what's going on? Why this? That idea may be the whole and simple answer. Why this? What, you're, you're part of a world that's been subjected to futility and decay. And that recognition can release you, can release you from those voices of recrimination and constant introspective. Why? 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 And there's hope in that. Third rung. Again, picking up in verse 20. The, the ultimate reason for suffering is crazily hopeful. Now, under, underline the word ultimate here, you know, kind of tracing it back, step by step backwards to where it all begins. I hope you know why creation is groaning. As Paul maps it out here, he, 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 he lets, let it, lets everyone know. Verse 20, creation is subjected to futility, and he says, not willingly. You see that little phrase there? Not willingly. In other words, creation didn't deserve this. Creation is subjected to futility and decay, not because of its own fault. You go back to Genesis and you find out in the text that was read earlier in the service, you find out that creation didn't deserve corruption and futility and decay. It, it, it fell when Adam fell. It was judged when Adam was judged. It, so to speak, died became subject to all the stuff that leads to death. When Adam died, became subject to all that leads to death. It's like a set of dominoes, friends. 
let's say I had a thousand dominoes, okay, and I set them up here, you know, start here and methodically set out my dominoes and I put it in a nice kind of uh, curvy line to show how wonderful it is when the dominoes all go down, you know, and it ends up right here with this domino. It all set up and I come back over here to the start and I just touch the one domino and it just goes right on down right to this domino which tumbles over to this is Adam over here this is Adam making that transgression and when Adam fell everything fell with him in Adam we all died Paul says earlier in this letter. And Adam, we all died. We all, all died. And so, when, you know, let's say I'm the domino right here. You know, I'm subject to decay and futility and corruption. Uh, and unless it's my own stupid fall, which sometimes it is. Um, you know, so much of it ultimately goes back to here. To Adam. But when you get that, suddenly there's hope. Because if I, in Adam, the first Adam, if I and creation died in that very first Adam, then in the second Adam, Jesus Christ, I and creation will, all, will then be made alive. When Adam and Eve and their faith descendants are transformed, released from the bondage to futility and decay transformed into what they will be, what we will be in the age to come, then all creation will be transformed as well. That's why Paul says several times here that the creation is eagerly waiting for Christ to come. He leaves that piece out. Christ comes, people, to, uh, the followers of Messiah to be, to be transformed. Look at it. Verse 19, the creation is waiting with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 21 the creation will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. It's us. Verse 22, that's why creation is groaning in the pains of childbirth. It's painful now, but there's something great coming. Once you get this, Suddenly, you understand, okay, if in Adam we all died, in Christ, we will one day be all made alive. And that totally reframes suffering, feeds right back into verse 18. I consider, I've thought this through, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us, I prefer, in us. Because when we're changed, everything else changes too. Now you say, well, okay, that's great. That reframes the suffering that I experience. It reframes the suffering that I see. Pastor Matt, sometimes hope is really hard to come by. And that's true. And... That's why, now here comes the bad news of this morning. That's why the next rung of the ladder, God has given to us his Holy Spirit. As it says 
of verse 23, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. And that rung of the ladder, because of time, we won't get until two Sundays from now, the 17th. For now, though, let's remember the second Adam, the one in whom all of us will be made alive, our great Savior, Jesus Christ, who endured suffering, futile, corrupting suffering, the attacks of people upon him, betrayal, unjust judgment, unfair sentence, physical pain, and eventual death of crucifixion. Why? So that he could rise in newness of life, be rejoined to the Father in glory, be transformed to become the, the first fruits of all who will be resurrected one day, and to drag those who trust him, to drag them to be with him in similar glory. He did it through the cross. And all hope comes back when we come back to the cross. So I now invite all here who know this Jesus, who love this Jesus, who walk with this Jesus, to join me, your elders and leaders, in remembering Jesus' death through the communion. Uh, we'll pass the bread around. I know that there are some people here who are visiting, so just so you know, we hold on to the bread and the cup until everyone has it, and we all do it together. If you're not yet a Christian, Jesus would ask that when that plate comes to you, you pass it on. He, he wants this to be for those who know him, who really trust him. And for all of us, including those who might not yet be Christians, there are in the very inner part of the bulletin, the inside middle page, there are some prayers that you can pray, guide you as the bread goes around. Or you can think through this text, read it through. You can uh, process what you've heard, do your business with God. During the cup, we're going to sing a beautiful song together, a wonderful praise song, Behold uh, the Lamb. Let me pray, and then I'm going to ask the servers to come down front. Father, just as in Adam we all died, so in Christ we will all be made alive. Holy Spirit of God, bring into our hearts now the hope that we long for, that we need in this world that's subject to futility and decay. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Servers, elders, servers, please distribute the bread.